Good morning. I think many of us, if we're honest, would uh, would admit to the fact that when we walk out each day and we go out and we meet different people and wherever that takes us and wherever that goes, we, we come across new people. And as we meet them, uh, we often make snap decisions on the people that we come into contact with. Right. Based on, uh, you know, past experiences, based on your history, based on whatever that may be. But when we see people, we immediately just make some uh, some inferences based on just what we see. And that's what we do. And, and a lot of times, sometimes they might be negative. Sometimes they might be positive. Sometimes they may be negative And then we're repenting in our mind. As soon as we do that, we go, Oh, why did I think that? Or why do I feel that? Or why do I see that? And, uh, I was thinking about that because I think we all do that at different times and we put different people in different places and we see them in different ways. And as we've been in this series, we've been talking about following Jesus. That's been the name of our series that we've been doing. And each week, what we've been doing is looking at Jesus's interactions with different people. Every one of these little snapshots we've been looking at, Jesus has been talking or interacting with someone. And we're looking at what he teaches and what he tells us and what he shows us by the way that he interacts with different people. And so this this passage that Chris just read for us this morning, you see Jesus coming upon uh, a couple of different people that are going on. And what we see always in the gospel is everywhere Jesus goes and every time he's talking and every time he's seeing people, he sees them exactly as they are. Right. John's gospel tells us that Jesus knew the heart and intentions of men. So not only did he see the outward, he saw what was going on in their hearts. He knew exactly what was happening. And the remarkable thing, though, when we start to think about following Jesus and what that looks like. And when we're seeing these interactions, is yes, Jesus knew everything about them. He knew their hearts and intentions, and yet he loved them all equally. He, he takes time for all these different people and all these different ways. And he stops and he addresses them and he talks to them. And so this morning, as we think about following Jesus, I just want that to set in your mind. That kind of convicted me as I was reading this passage in the way that maybe you look at different people in different ways and give more a priority over here, time over here. But that's not the way Jesus moved. That's not the way he interacted with people. And so we see that even in this very familiar story that we just read of, of different people coming to seek Jesus and the way he interacts with him and the way he stops and takes time. And so really what we're going to do this week and then next week, this really is it's kind of two stories that come together and we're going to look at it and we'll, we'll pick up on, on the beginning here, but then we'll come back to the first guy next week because we're not going to get all of it this week. And so the story of, of what we're looking at is these two people that are seeking Jesus. And as I often do, I say this frequently, uh, page, I think it's page nine of your bullets and we have a little outline Almost always, not always, but almost always are questions. I like to do questions, usually three questions. Today, there's actually four. I say this from time to time. And I figure I stop and say it today. The reason that I do that, the reason that we put it in form of questions and we kind of frame it in that way is so that we ask the questions and then we collectively together are looking at God's word for the answers. That's the way I set it up that way so that we ask these questions and we frame it. But then we're going to God's word and we're letting the answers come from his word. Right. Bible tells us clearly that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. And so we want to get the answers from God's word and let that stand over and above us. So as we look at this very familiar story, if you if that helps you to follow along with that outline, these are the four questions. First, who is seeking Jesus? Second, what are they looking for? How does that interaction go? And then lastly, why? Right. So who is seeking Jesus? What are they looking for? How does that go? And then why? 
Let me pray for us real quick. Chris prayed that God would lead us, but I don't ever like to open God's word without praying first. So I'm going to pray real quickly and then we'll jump into those four questions. Lord, we just pray this morning that uh, everything we say and do would be in accord with your will. Uh, We pray that you'd be glorified in this time. And as as Chris just prayed for us, that your spirit would lead and guide us in all things. Because without that, we are hopelessly lost. We love you and we thank you. We pray it in Jesus name. Amen. So let's look at this passage together. Let's just start with who is seeking Jesus first. And you see right at the beginning, the the, the first character we see is Jesus comes and he's walking and he's moving and there's people all around him. You know, each week as we've been in this series, I've been talking about, I think I've mentioned this almost every week, that Jesus's ministry is really divided up into three years, his earthly ministry. And oftentimes we say the first year is the year of inauguration and the second year is the year of favor and the third year is the year of opposition. And so Jesus comes on the scene and people aren't sure what to make of him. And then he gets very popular and then people start to get kind of uncomfortable with what he's saying and what he's calling them to. And what we see in this passage, the throngs are everywhere. People are seeking Jesus and they're all around. We're right in the middle of year two. This is the year of favor. People are excited about Jesus and you've got people coming to him and seeking miracles and seeking help and seeking things. And so when we ask who is seeking Jesus, you see right here at the beginning, it says in verse 22, one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And so the first person we see in the first thing of who is seeking Jesus is this guy, Jairus. And he's an upstanding guy that people would know. He's, he's the ruler in the synagogue. Well known. People would look at and go, oh yeah, that, there he is. That's, that's Jairus. They would know who he is. And he's got a certain air about him. And he comes to Jesus and, and comes before him and he pleads because of his daughter. His daughter's sick. And if you have children or your children have ever been sick or ever been in a place where you want to help him, you can understand the sentiment. So his daughter's on her deathbed and he's going, Jesus, will you please come and help me? And the first person we see is Jairus. That's who's seeking Jesus. But in this story, it quickly makes a turn to something else. And we see this this picture as somebody else comes in. And so in verse uh, 24, it says, and he went with them. And so Jesus starts to follow Jairus. He says, "Okay, I'll go with you. And he's following him. It says a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. In Luke's gospel, he tells the same story. And it has the connotation of of Jesus being almost choked that there's so many people around him. This is not a scene for the claustrophobic. Jesus is moving and there's people everywhere. And you can see Jairus kind of pulling him along. Let's go. Let's go. We got to get to my daughter. We've got to get there. She's really sick and they're going. But then it tells us in verse 25. There was also someone else seeking Jesus. It says there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and she had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And so you've got Jairus and he's pulling Jesus along and the story kind of starts there. But then all of a sudden we're introduced to this woman and it tells us of of how horrible her her life has been. That she's had this issue for 12 years. It says the issue of a discharge of blood. She's struggling with reproductive problems. She's got a horrible uh, pain and she's been seeking all these different people to help her. It even tells us that she's gone to all these places. She's gone to tons of physicians. She's spent all their money. All of that's right there in the text. It tells us all of that in one verse. 
And she's been seeking all these different things. And what Mark tells us is not only has she been seeking all these things and she spent all this money after all of this, she's no better off, but rather she grew worse. If you go and you read uh, some of the ancient texts about what doctors were like in those days, you'll understand real clearly what Mark's saying. That she suffered under many doctors. It wasn't just the pain and the, the issues she had, but she even suffered under the treatments. All kinds of terrible stuff that they would do. And so you see that picture. And if you know a little bit, I won't even go into some of the things they would do, but it was horrible. And she spent all her money seeking and wanting to be made well, and it didn't happen. And she kept seeking and she kept seeking. But what you don't see here that you don't know unless you know a little bit about the historical setting and the social setting of what's going on is not only did she have all these things going on, she also was an outcast. Because of this issue of blood that she had made her ceremonially unclean, which means she couldn't go worship in public. There were these this holiness laws in the Old Testament and certain things that God had given to the people. If you ever wonder about those, you read through Leviticus and you go, what's going on here with all these laws and all these things? God gave them to the people to show what a holy, perfect God he is and to show us how far removed we are from that. And so he gave them all these things as a way to approach a holy God and to see clearly how far removed we are from God. And as part of that, there were some some laws and some things in there about you couldn't come into public worship if you had an issue of bleeding. It made you unclean. And so what you don't see right here is not only did the lady have all these things going on on top of that, she was an outcast. If she touched you, she made you ceremonially unclean. And so she had uh, this all on top of her and all these terrible things that are going on with her. And so what you see is, is when we talk about who's seeking God and who's coming here, who's, who's seeking Jesus out, is you've got the, the high up Jairus, who's the leader of the synagogue, and then you have this woman that's the outcast. And what we see in this story is, is that uh, as she's walking along as, and she comes up to Jesus, we're going to see just a second, he stops. Now remember the scene. Jairus is going, hurry up. My daughter's on her deathbed. Let's go. I need you to come. Let's go right now. And Jesus stops for this woman. And so the picture we're going to look at this morning is the woman who the who we're talking about is this outcast that doesn't can't be touched, can't come to public worship, has spent all her money, is in pain. And yet Jesus stops for her. And I want you just to see from the beginning when I talk about the way Jesus uh, interacts with people and the way he goes about it and the way he looks is that Jesus loves all people. They're all made in his image and he sees them all in that way. And it's a beautiful picture. And so the first thing we say of who is seeking Jesus is Jairus. We'll come back to him next week. We'll finish with him next week. But this week we're going to look at this woman, this outcast that's really at the end of her rope and doesn't have anywhere else to go. And so that's the first part. So what is she looking for? Right. And we can say, what are they looking for? Jairus is looking for help with his daughter. Again, we're going to set him aside and leave him. But look at what she's looking for in verse 27 and 28. When she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And so what you get when we say, what is she looking for? She's looking for healing. She doesn't know where else to go. She doesn't know what else to do. She spent all her money. She's tried all these other things and she can't deal with it. 
No one's been able to deal with it. And so she hears about Jesus and she says, maybe just maybe he's the one that can do this. I'm going to go seek him out. And so you see this picture of her coming to seek Jesus out. And you see the 12 years and all the stuff that's behind this. And I'll be honest, when I read this and I kept coming back to this this week, is, is she says uh, maybe uh, she hears about Jesus and she says, I'm going to go to him. I look at that and I see uh, God's grace in her life in these 12 years. And you may say, what? She's been suffering and going to all these places from place to place and seeking. And yet you'd say that's somehow God's grace in her life. And what I keep thinking about is as, as I was reading that and looking at that, that in God's providence and in his sovereignty and in all that time, he brought her to a place that when she heard about Jesus, she said, I'm going to go find this guy, Jesus. And so it took all this to bring her to the point of I'm going to venture into this crowd, the outcast that no one wants to touch, no one wants to be around. And I'm going to go into this place to look for Jesus because she's at the end of a rope. She doesn't have anywhere else to turn. And so you can say, oh, that's awful. And that's and I'm not making light of the suffering. Please don't hear that. There's very real hard times and dry seasons and difficult things we go through. But yet you see, even in this story, God using those to point her to Jesus. And so she comes to seek him out. And, and what happens for, for a lot of us is, is that's the case. It takes things like that in our life for us to turn and to seek God. Right? We looked at a few weeks ago with the rich young ruler. Right. Jesus, he comes to Jesus and he's looking for validation and he turns it kind of on his head and he asks him a bunch of questions. He goes away upset and Jesus says it's easier uh, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And everybody marvels at that. What he was saying is when you've got everything going well and you, all your needs are being met and everything's great, it's real easy to forget about God. Here we see the opposite. She's at the end of all that she's tried. She's exhausted everything else and there's nowhere else to turn. And so oftentimes that happens. Maybe you've been in that situation where you're really frustrated and things are really hard and you're really struggling. And then suddenly you turn to God and that's when you start praying. Right. That's what often happens. So they say there's no atheists in foxholes. Right? When the, the bombs go off and the bullets are whizzing by, suddenly we start to go, maybe there is a God. Maybe he is out there. And so sometimes it takes that and we don't often see it that way. Those hard times pointing us to God, making us seek him in those areas. Now, that doesn't lessen the suffering. The suffering's still real, but you can start to see God's grace in those areas and how he's starting to point you to that. Now, the problem becomes, though, for all of us. I think you even see it with this woman a little bit is what happens is we turn to God and then we say, God, if you would just do this, then everything will be all right. We start to pray and we start to seek him and we say, God, fix this thing over here and then everything will be good. And it's like we're still not quite there yet. Right. Because what we're doing when we do that and, and don't mishear me here, because you are supposed to lay your petitions before God. You are supposed to tell them about those things that are going on and what you're struggling with and lay them before him. Right. He wants you to tell him. But the reason he wants you to tell him is he wants you seeking him. See, oftentimes what we do is we say, God, would you fix this thing? If you'll fix this thing, then things will be OK. Then God is a means to an end. 
I need God to do this for me versus I need God. And if I have God, I can walk through any of these things. You see the difference. And so often we all do this. I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. I do this. God, please fix this thing. Right. And the whole time I think he's just sitting there going, I just want you to spend time with me. I want you just with me and seeking my face and being with me. And we can I can take you through anything. And oftentimes we miss it. And then I think we get to this woman and he starts to ask the question, well, which is it with her? And I think honestly, when we really look at it, it's kind of both. I think she's gotten to the end where she doesn't know where to turn and she's heard about Jesus and she's really seeking. And obviously she wants to be healed. And that doesn't mean it's wrong, but it's kind of kind of both in there. And the reason I think she's really seeking Jesus is what we'll see in just a second because of what Jesus says to her. And so the picture here is what is she looking for? And she's looking for uh, healing. She's looking for redemption. She's looking for her uncleanliness to be taken away. She's looking for relationships that are so foreign to her because of her condition. And so she comes and she seeks Jesus out. And so that's the second question. But what about the third? How are the answers found? And there's there's two ways I want you to think about this. First, we see the way she thinks it would be. And then we see what Jesus says. Right. Look, look at what she thinks in verses 27, 28 and 29. She had heard reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Verse 28. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of this disease. Right. And so the way she sees it, the how answers are found in her mind is if I can just get to Jesus and touch him, everything will be OK. If I can just touch him. If I can just get there and lay my hand on him, I'll be healed. And what you see there is how the answers are found is, yes, she has a faith. There's a very real faith there because in her mind, she's going, if I can just touch this man. He could heal me. And so it's real. But then there's also a part of it that's a little bit superstitious, right? Maybe a little bit off. I've got to touch him to be healed, right? We know by the way Jesus moves and works and how he does. That's not the case. He doesn't have to touch them. He doesn't have to do that. He's all powerful. And so maybe her faith's a little bit off on the way it looks, but there is a real faith there. And I want you to think about just the, the interesting picture that's here when you see this scene, If I just touch him, I'll be healed. Well, it tells us earlier that people are all over Jesus. People are touching him like crazy. He can't move without people all over him. And so there's an interesting picture here that I just kept coming back to. Striking to think about. All these people are touching Jesus and she touches him and she's healed. And I can't help but think that there's so many times where we're around things of Jesus, yet we don't know Jesus. We're close to things of Jesus, but we're not really with Jesus. It's easy to mistake being in the crowd and being around. I can come to church and I can sing songs and I can be around other people that know Jesus and love them and talk about them and not know Jesus. But you see that all around her. People are touching him and they're there and he's right there. Nobody else is being healed in this picture here. And oftentimes we can do that. We can mistake being around the things of God for actually having a a relationship with God. 
actually putting our faith in him. There's kind of a a warning there. And so what you get is she touches him. She gets to him. She lays her hands on it and it tells her that she's immediately knows she's healed. She feels it. She knows she is healed. But then what happens next is you see Jesus's view of what happened. Yes, she had faith. Yes, she had part of it. And yes, there were some things that were maybe a little off. And so what you see in verses 30, look at verse 30. And Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him. You can think about that verse for a long time. I still, that's just crazy. (laughs) He knew it. He felt it. Right. Verse verse 30. And then immediately he turned around to the crowd and he said, who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in around you. And yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing that what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And so what you see is this picture. She's been healed and she knows it. Yet Jesus stops everything. Remember, background here, Jairus is going, come on, let's go. My daughter's on her deathbed. Let's go. And Jesus says, hold on just a second. Somebody touch me. And the disciples go, really? I mean, is is, uh, uh, reverential as they could. Are you really asking us who touched you, Jesus? Right? There's people everywhere. But yet he stops and he calls this out and you start to go, well, what is he doing? Right. Is he calling her out? It says she's in fear and trembling and she comes before him and she's all shaken and oh, she tells what happens. And I think what Jesus is doing is he's correcting and he's making sure that she sees how this happened. It happened by you putting your faith in me. That's what he's showing her. It's not about touching the garment. Your faith has made you well. And he stops and he shows her. And he lovingly tells her and he shows her that it's it's your faith in me, not the touching of my garment. And he corrects kind of what's wrong there. And I think there's a wonderful picture here for all of us, wherever you are in your faith. That no matter where you are, there's this picture of of a simple faith of putting your faith in Jesus that saves you. She didn't have all the answers. She didn't have it all perfect. Her her systematic theology was not all in its right places. Her doctrine was off in different things. She didn't see all of it, but yet she had faith in Jesus. She put her faith in him. And so I want you to think about what our world often says. It's not what you believe, but how strong you believe in it, how strong your convictions are. The Bible says the opposite. It is the object of your faith, not the strength of your faith that saves you. That is good news. Because if it's my strength of my faith and how perfectly I've figured things out, I'm in trouble. We're all in trouble because no, I, I, I tell you this, say this for anybody, no matter who your favorite pastor, theologian, who they are. Nobody has a perfect theology. We're going to get to heaven and we're going to see all of it. And God's going to show us, man, I was really wrong over here. But the good news is that I'm saved by Jesus. It's, it's him. It's the object of the faith, not the I've got everything in perfect order. I, I heard a great analogy and I, I was I think it was Tim Keller that was telling this and he probably heard it from somebody else. But I'll give credit to him because he's the one I heard say it. He's talking about three guys running through the forest and a bear's chasing them and they come to a cliff 
and there's a, a pond below that's frozen. And they've got to jump like 20 feet onto the pond. And so there's a choice. Either get eaten by the bear or jump onto the ice. And so they jump. And the first guy's yelling all the way down, we're going to die, we're going to die, we're going to die. I'm going through the ice. And he hits the ice and it holds and he's safe. The second guy's, I think we're going to die. I think I'm going to fall through. I'm not sure if it'll hold. And he hits the ice and he's safe. The third guy goes, I've been here a hundred times. This is going to hold. It's like a foot thick. We're fine. And so you get to the bottom and the ice holds and all three of them are okay. And so the question is, which one is more saved? The guy who was sure of the ice or the guy that was doubting? No, it's the object that holds them up. It's the same in our relationship with Jesus. Thankfully, you're not. If you've got some doubts and you're struggling with different things, look to Jesus. He's the one that holds you up. It's not that I've figured it out, because when we start to go, well, you've got to have this in order and this in order and this in order, every single thing along the way, then you're making your salvation dependent on how smart you are, how well you can put things into categories. But the Bible, there's a simplicity of the gospel. You are saved by faith alone, by grace alone and Jesus alone. And that's it. So thankful that that's it. Because there's so many things that I don't quite get and I don't know every answer, but I know who Jesus is and he is the object of your faith. He's got you. He's the one holding you up. That's the picture here. And it's so encouraging to me that this lady thinks she's got it all wrong and she's thinking, I've got to touch him and I've got to do this. And Jesus turns to her. She calls her out in a place where everybody wouldn't want to have anything to do with her. And she looks at her with all these people and she says, you see that? That's faith. Your faith has made you well. Right? Think about that. Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, the guy that's teaching everyone, and he stops and he says, this is faith. She has put her faith in me. She gets it. And so you see this beautiful picture. Now, I want to balance that real quickly. Because we can go, oh, yes, you're saved by faith alone and Christ alone. And so I've got that part. I don't need to know anything else. That goes contrary to what the Bible says. You can't stop there. Yes, you are saved by Jesus alone. You're not saved by your learning that comes after that. But Christ commands us to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind and strength. All your being. Paul says in Romans, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? That you're to... Be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. All those verses that talk about you are to fight to understand the questions that you have. Thankfully, you're not saved by how well you understand all those answers, but you're to do that. You are to seek to do that. You even see with this woman here in verse 27, it says she heard about what Jesus had done and what he was saying and what he's doing. And that's why she came to him. There's a thinking uh, element involved. And so we want to be careful that, yes, there's a simplicity of faith. You are saved by Jesus and your faith in him, but you're to continue to walk that out. Give you a real practical reason. Go back to the uh, analogy of the guys jumping off the cliff. Which one of those three guys is having the least anxious life? Right? The guy that's sure. The guy that's got some of the answers and has started to walk that out and ask those answers. Right. It doesn't mean he's more saved, but it means his life is going to be a little more joyful. 
a little more easier to walk through some of these things because he's seen clearly that it's going to hold. And the more you seek God and the more you see him and the more you spend time with him and the more you hear about him and the more that you gather together with other believers, the more sure you are of who he is. You see that more and more clearly. And so it doesn't mean you stop, but you keep seeking that. Right. And so the, the picture here is the how this happens is faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus and nothing else. It's all him. And so the last part is why like this? Why did he record in the Mark's gospel like this? And Jesus stops. And I want you just to look at this picture one more time here at the end. Jesus perceiving in himself power had gone out from him. Immediately he turned to the crowd and says, who touched my garment? What's going on? You have a woman who's unclean, who's an outcast, who can't worship, can't come to public worship, can't do all these things. And she just gets to Jesus and she touches him. And Jesus feels the power go out and then suddenly she knows she's healed. Right? Something leaves him. The unclean becomes clean because it's come into contact with Jesus. You see why that happens like that? He who knew no sin became sin on your behalf that you might become the righteousness of God in him. It cost Jesus. He felt it. Something happened. I felt power go out of me. It cost me something to take her who was unclean and make her clean. It's just a picture of of the whole of the gospel of what Jesus came to do. The perfect man that comes down who is perfect in every way. And he says, you give me your sin. You put your faith in me and I will take it on myself and I will give you my righteousness. And that's how you're saved. You put your faith in what I'm going to do for you and nothing else. And I've got you. That's the picture that happens right here. She's at the end of her rope. She doesn't know where to turn. She's tried all these different things in her life. She's sought answers and everywhere else. And finally, she says, I'm going to try Jesus. That's every one of us. We seek it in all different ways. We go out, we try to make a name for ourselves. We try to do things or uh, seek simple pleasures that make us feel better and all those stuff. And we come to a point where we realize none of those things satisfy And then you turn to Jesus and he says, I'll take all that. And it's going to cost me and it's going to cost me dearly, but I'm going to hand you my righteousness. I'm going to take you from unclean to clean. I'm going to take you from unrighteous to righteous and I'm going to give it to you. And the whole picture that is here is it's by faith alone and Christ alone, by grace alone, nothing else. What a beautiful picture. That's all I got. I'm so thankful that he's so gracious. That it doesn't have to be perfect, but it has to be centered on him and nothing else. It's grace that abounds. Right? So the, the name of this was just simply this. Following Jesus means having faith in him. That's it. The starting point. And so if you're here today and you go, man, I have so many questions and I don't know all the answers and I'm not sure how that works out. You start by putting your faith in Jesus. Trust him and then work those things out. Come to him in that way. 
That's what it means following Jesus is putting your faith in him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the beautiful picture that this is, the way that you lovingly address us, that you come to us, that even in the brokenness, even of our faith and our questions and our our doubting and our struggles, that you're always the constant, that you're there and your grace is sure. And I pray that you would help us to see that, that we would see you more and more clearly each day, the ways that you love us, the ways that you come to us. Pray that we would seek to share that with each person we come into contact with each day. And all of it would be for your glory and for your name being lifted up. We thank you, thank you. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.